Well, again, it's good to be with you this morning as we move into a new time uh, this year. I think we're going through the Gospel of Mark, which is always exciting. And what's so, um, what's so interesting about the Gospel of Mark is that he spends absolutely no time giving us details uh, like Jesus' birth or about angels and their announcements or about the lineage of Jesus. He just gets going right away with starting us with the ministry. And even he even begins his gospel with this sentence that says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's just a quick, action-packed, and as we're going to read through this gospel this season, you'll see that Mark likes to use words like at once or without delay or immediately, and he has this action moving quickly because he understands the urgency. An event has taken place that radically changes the way we look at and we experience the world, and that event is that God in Christ Jesus has come to us. And so we will at once, that's a little joke, I even bolded it here so that I wouldn't remember it, look at our text at these six verses that we're going to look at that are unmistakably clear on this urgency. The time is now, God is calling you to follow him. So we're going to look at verses 14 to 20. It's in the Gospel of Mark. If you brought your Bibles, that's chapter number one. You can pull your Bibles out now as we go through it. It's also in your bulletin. And then like you can already see, the verses will be on the screen as we go through it as well. Now, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, and there's a more detailed account of that in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And there are two ancient Greek words that, be can, that can be translated for time. One is chronos, meaning simple chronological time. The other is kairos, meaning the strategic opportunity, the decisive time. You guessed it. Jesus is using that second word here when he says the time is now. His idea was that the strategic time for the kingdom of God has come. This is your opportunity. Do not miss it. Don't let it pass you by. And Mark has Jesus announcing this bold, innovative teaching of the kingdom of God. And as the story in the gospel unfolds through Mark, we're going to see that this focus is less on Christ as king or as the sovereign ruler of Israel and all people, but more focused on God entering the kingdom in and through Jesus with this invitation for all of us to enter into a new state of being, a new state of living, a new state of being in relationship. And as this kingdom is proclaimed to all people, we're standing on this threshold where we either receive it or we reject it. Because like he says, the opportunity is now. We are not going to let this pass by. And a little bit about what this means is that the kingdom of God, then, is not just the, the substance of Jesus' teachings. Anyone who's spent any time reading the Gospels knows what Jesus has taught or preached on, like thinking like a, the Sermon on the Mount or through parables. But Mark is identifying the kingdom here in a very unique way. First and foremost, he is making sure that you do not miss that the kingdom of God, in the closest possible way, starts with a person. And the work that he is doing, the person Jesus Christ. This kingdom, this ministry, this person, this good news is going to be proclaimed and known. Not in the usual or in an expected way. Not from afar. But close and personal through adversity, through struggling, through death and resurrection. And that all that we will see in regard to hope and love has finally come in this one man, Jesus. 
And so repentance is needed and belief to follow that person. For the arrival of the kingdom of God demands a change in thinking, a unique response of repenting and changing in thought and behavior. See, repentance means that you have to actually turn from one thing, from one way of life, from one way of thinking, and turn towards the other. This new way, this new truth, this new life, this Jesus. The call of repentance and belief is not just a one-time momentary act, not something that you apply to just parts of your life. It is a call that lays claim to a total allegiance and holistic life of now following Jesus and becoming his disciple. When Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wants you to know exactly what is entering, what coming into that kingdom is like. You can't go into the kingdom the same way that you had been going. You have to change directions and experience this new thing that has come to you. See, sometimes we get caught up thinking that repentance is, is just about our feelings. We have to feel sorry for, for, our, for our sin. And while, yeah, we, we should feel sorry for our sin and repentance, repenting isn't really a feelings word. Repentance is an action word. Jesus told us to make a change of the mind, not to just feel sorry for what we have done. This repentance is a change of direction, not just a sorrow of the heart. So when he's coming, he's going to tell us what this is going to be like, what we're going to live like in this kingdom. And it's more than just a moral renewal. It's, it's about trusting God first and foremost. It's about taking him at his word and living in a relationship that we just sang about, about trusting God and depending on him. See, the ancient Greek word here again for believe, pistuo, means much more than just knowing it or agreeing with it. It speaks about having a relationship of trust and dependence because it's in that trust of what God has done and what, is, what he is inviting us into and what he is bringing to us that we can rest in it, that in joy we can rest and that the gospel is freely given to us and now we are free to respond to it in love and joy, not because we have to or are trying to earn something, because what we have been given can't just stay in us but spills out of us. This beautiful invitation is to move beyond just the head but into the heart and the hands and to rest in this kingdom that has come, to work in this kingdom that has come and to let the heart find ease, trusting in what God is doing for each one of us as we follow him. And so it's not surprising that if this ministry, this new kingdom of God is focused on one man, Jesus Christ, no wonder that the very next thing that Mark shows us is not a miracle or an expansion or a sermon or something like that. It's just four ordinary people getting up and following Jesus. The text continues and says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. 
Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. What do you see as the most important? Who they follow. Jesus saying, come follow me. Not a choice to follow an ideal or a way of life or a teaching, but a call to follow him. He alone. And this is showing us what the root of everything is supposed to be about. At its root, Christianity is not about a theological system or rules or, or even helping people. It is about following the one Jesus. And if you're wondering, why do I keep hammering this home? Why do I keep saying this? Is because too many times for Christians, we've reduced this following Jesus to just morals or ideas, or we like to just kind of add Jesus on. But Jesus is the source. He is the giver and the receiver. He is everything. The rest that follows that. It can't come first, and it certainly doesn't come as a requirement. It begins, it ends, it lives and breathes and finds all of its meaning and purpose in Jesus. And so I think it's truly amazing that if it begins and finds everything in Jesus, don't miss that Jesus comes to them first. That Jesus seeks out these four. He comes and meets them right where they are. He doesn't require them to find him, to come to the holiest of holies, some secret place, or to pass an examination. But right where they are, working in their normal everyday life, he comes. And you better believe that he seeks you out in the same way. And he comes and meets you exactly where you are. He does not require you to find him. He doesn't require you to come to the holiest of holies or to pass an examination. But right where you are, where you live, he comes. And in a time of shouting and advertisement and distraction and theories and truths and discoveries and options that are here, there, and gone tomorrow and something that is so important today and then forgotten tomorrow and onto the next thing, requiring your attention over here and you continually choose, choose, or neglect or reject or change or change or constantly keep getting distorted, here comes one man looking just for you. Here comes one man who looks at you and chooses you and calls you by name. Do not miss how important that is. Because life will make you feel paralyzed and afraid, unsure of what is going to happen. But he comes to you. Life has a way of making you feel content, so sure. And a voice comes and calls you to something real. And in life, if you find yourself lost and wandering and unsure, he comes calling you. This is a personal call. You are not handed instructions from Ikea with step-by-step things to do that you mess up and then have to go back and figure it out again. Instead, it is as simple as follow me. And everything that we need to know and everything that we need to learn and do doesn't start from inside of us. But it's given to us in the call of come, follow me. The gospel, the good news, isn't just about God, but it's from God for you. 
is good news that comes to you and offers you everything before you even take a step. It offers you the very presence of God in your midst, offers you a name, offers you purpose, offers you peace, adventure, forgiveness for the wrong that you have done. It offers you hope and promise, clarity on who you are and why you are here. And it gives you and equips you with what you need to, to raise the family you have, to live the life that you are in, providing, loving, and being. And if that's where this gospel starts, then we have to keep coming back to that because of how, how we have become wired. Because it all comes in and through Jesus. And so on Sunday morning when we worship, we return here to be centered once again, to give our praise, to receive renewal and forgiveness, and to gather around the word and the sacrament that roots us in Jesus. And only when we hold that in our heart are we ready for that part that he calls us in embracing this new life of catching others, of becoming fishers of people. These disciples received this wonderful thing just as we have. It just makes sense that we don't hoard it for ourselves, but that we share it. And before I continue on this final thought, this idea of being sent out, you can see that the NIV translates this here in uh, verse 17 right here where it says, and I will send you out to fish for people. But in reality, the translation, the translation really means, I will make you to become fishers of men. So with your permission, I'm going to change that part here so that not only do you see that it comes for you, but he doesn't just stop with an invitation. Ready? Oh, I already did it. Dang it. I was practicing the, I dream a genie. Am I right? That's the one. Bam. I almost did it, but it's okay. We messed up on that. I should have, we should have rehearsed it. Anyways, I bolded it there in 17. I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, I like this a lot more because it changes so much here. There are two things that we now see. The first is that these guys were, were working with nets, right? They're casting, they're mending, they're preparing their nets. And that's interesting because really what it says is that with their nets, they were properly putting them in order. They were trying to make them ready for either the next day of fishing or for whatever they were about to go do. This word comes up again by the Apostle Paul when he talks about how the Spirit equips the saints to do work in Ephesians to complete us, to make us right, to adjust us, to fit us, to fix the things that are wrong so that we can do what we are meant to do. Now, this interesting detail is fleshed out better when it's like this because it's not about us then who have been called to follow and now are mending nets. It's God himself who's going to equip us, going to come to us, going to mend us, going to fix us and do the same. Think about these disciples. Think about how often they stumbled, how often they made mistakes, how often they doubt, how often they were bickering with one another about who would be the greatest. Even after the resurrection, these fellas still struggled because they were never perfect people. But God comes to them and equips them just like he has done for each one of us. And for many of us who have been called to follow Jesus and have answered that call, if you're anything like me, you might find yourself often discouraged because of the lack of progress you are making and how many holes there are in your nets, how slow you are in following Jesus. 
And so as I prepared this, I came across this writing of an, an old church father who wrote this spiritual book on how to pray. And you could sum it up in a, in a few words. When you, when you pray, practice the presence of God to realize that in every moment, God is present. In every place, that God is present. And when you pray and as you follow Jesus, recognize and live out the reality that God is closer than you think. Now the book not too long, but it's pretty long. Talks mostly about how this, this, this saint got to this realization and through this practice, through a lot of struggle, he talks about how he would look at his heart and get discouraged because he was feeling like he wasn't making any progress. Everything is going too slow. For 10 years, it talks about how the man worries about his walk with the Lord wasn't good enough. Sometimes he even wrote that he was doing so poorly that he actually thought he was just walking his way to hell instead of following Jesus. Not because of some horrible sins, but because it wasn't fast enough. He wasn't growing fast enough. And I don't know about you, but I felt that and related to the idea that when I'm following Jesus, I'm not going fast enough. That I should be better at following Jesus. I get up and speak in front of people to follow Jesus. I should be better at this. I should be able to do more. And I feel myself going so very slow. And the author, he talks about how he had, he had to find this resolve to look past his own progress and instead to see rather that God is here. God is closer than I think in every single moment. He had to find a way to stop looking at himself and looking more around for God in his presence. And so he began that thing called practicing the presence of God. Just that God is here, and because God is here, because he has promised to be with me, that this is important, God is here and has called me to follow, that means God is doing something in this even when it doesn't feel like change or growth is happening. He said that we need to get to a place or we can ex stop expecting to grow any faster than God wants you to do. He doesn't say, follow me, and then as soon as you can, when you're ready, sprint past me as far as you can, because I'm going to hang back here. It's follow me. We need to find that place where we let go of expecting to grow faster than God wants us to to let go of the control and the expectations, but instead turn our hearts and our minds towards his presence and trusting that he is there. He wrote to resolve not to grow faster than God's grace allows. And he used this idea of a plant. You plant it, and if you dig it up and try to see, like, what's going on? Why aren't you growing faster? You ruin it. No matter what you do, you plant it, and when it's ready, it grows, and it eventually bears fruit. We have to be patient, and we have to be patient with ourselves. And mind you, this was written a long time ago. You didn't even have fast food back then. We have to be patient. Even when we find that on this path of following Jesus, weeds are growing. Weeds that sometimes we planted there and sometimes others put them there, but they're there. And St. Francis said that when we find the weeds growing, resolve to do this. Resolve to expect them on your path of following Jesus. Don't be surprised when they're there because they're going to be there. That's going to happen. 
So when you follow, don't be surprised. There's going to be stumbling. The world is broken. And sin is rampant. And if you feel like you have this burden then to just stop on the path and keep removing all of the weeds and it's your responsibility to do that, you're going to become overwhelmed. St. Francis said you're going to be like one of the X-Wing fighters in New Hope where he shouts out, there's too many of them, and then he gets blown up. Or at least that's what I thought. But the weeds will be there, so expect them and don't be surprised. But he said resolve instead now to have the courage to witness their removal. And if need be, then lend a hand. Meaning it is God himself who is going to remove the barriers. And when it is appropriate, just like a child who learns from their parent how to kick, cook in the kitchen, he will direct your hands in what you are supposed to do as you follow him. Because the call to follow him requires patience along the path. Patience with the process of becoming a disciple and patience with yourself of letting go of needing to be perfect if you are going to follow Jesus. It's why when we have worship, we have that time of confession and absolution. Because yes, we are admitting our brokenness and our struggles, but we're also saying, I'm not going to hold on to this. Instead, I'm going to give it to you. We do that because we trust that we are loved no matter what. And we do that because we have the freedom to know that God removes them from us. And that this is part of the process. And that God isn't giving up on us. Rather, he is here and closer than we think. And when there are weeds in our heart or weeds in the path, we learn to say, God, I give this to you because it is only in you that I can find peace and it is only in you that growth comes. That's repentance and that's belief in the calling that you have received from Jesus. It's a fundamental change of perspective because suddenly you're mind begins to be thinking of the things of God rather than self. Your heart begins to rely on trusting in the grace and mercy of God and rather in your things that you have. And you constantly find yourself turning and following Him. It's a fight. It's hard. It's hard to turn and go a different way. But make no mistake, that's why Paul said it to Timothy. Fight the good fight. Take hold of that which you have given, that which you confess, that, that, that thing that you shouted out in the presence of many witnesses. Because in this fight of turning away from what we once were to toward what we were to what we have now become is a deprogramming. You have to fight to follow. And every saint that has gone before you is calling you and telling you to root yourself in prayer, to ask him to remove the weeds, to ask him to move your feet, to ask him to give you eyes to see his face, 
to surrender all of the things in your heart that make you so afraid to give up and to follow Jesus and to be carrying all these burdens, shake them off and give them to him. Fight to follow. And then you will fight for the love that comes from knowing and following Jesus because he is never going to stop fighting for you. And I don't know which of you needs to hear that today. But he is still fighting for you, so do not give up. He is working on you. And he knows that it's not easy to fight, and it's not easy to follow, and a lot of times you're taking wrong turns, and there's plenty of weeds on the path. But don't give up. Keep fighting. Those men were exhausted when they got called. Not to mention how exhausted it became when they had to die for Christ Jesus. But in every important journey, in every moment of your life, every fight, every struggle, there will come a moment when you can either give up or you can pray. And in that moment, pause, breathe, close your eyes, bow your head, and hear the voice of the one who calls you and says, you are mine. I am with you. You are not alone. I have put you where you are. You are on the path of following me. I'm right here beside you. My love is your companion. Whether you think you're growing or not, I'm here. And this is a fight worth fighting because I'm not giving up on you, he says. And don't you worry. In this life, you will have many troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome this world. So he calls you to follow. And he promises you that he is with you. And invites you into something so much more. So very good. The very kingdom of God himself. <laughs>